Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. How is it going? Hey, can I uh, follow up on something we were talking about a little bit earlier? Uh, we were talking about the ruling in California that de-illegalized the AR-15. Uh, the judge said, no, it's a rifle. It's illegal. Uh, he allowed, he, he granted a temporary stay requested by the California Attorney General 30 days to file an appeal. So, so-called assault weapons are still banned in California. So I can't run out and days. buy an AR-15 today? Not really. Okay. Then don't look in my trunk. Oh! <laughs> he's kidding. Ladies and gentlemen, he's kidding. <laughs> um, and then how does it work? So if uh, I if they, if they become legal and I go out and buy one, which I will, um, uh, then if uh, it gets overturned again, do I have to turn it back in or do I get to keep it? My grandfather didn't once I bought it. No, I think possession of it would be illegal. Unless it depends how the law is written. I suspect in California it would be written to ban possession and not just sale or transfer. So then what do I do? What with my $1,500 gun... I mean, what do you do in theory, or what do you really do? <laughs> what I really do is I keep it. Right. Um, and if I ever need it, I have it. And if I don't ever need it, nobody will know. That's what Correct. people do. Yes. Um, uh, but but in theory, I would have to sell it You'd out have of to, state. I'll bet the law would cover that. No, you'd, oh, no, that would be evil. You'd have to turn it into the authorities and say, thank you for taking this dangerous thing <laughs> off of my hands. Right. Because I was just that close to snapping when I had the gun. Now that I don't have the gun, I'm not going to snap. Right. Um, the psychopathic problem of the white mind. Actually, the name of a lecture giving it given at Yale University by a supposedly respected Ph.D. Well, I'll just read the article from Substack for you. A psychiatrist lecturing at Yale's Child Study Center spoke about unloading a revolver into the head of any white person that got in my way. You'll hear the full quote here in a second. A few weeks ago, someone sent me a recording of a talk called The Psychopathic Problem of the White Mind. It was delivered at the Yale School of Medicine's Child Study Center by a New York-based psychiatrist as part of Grand Rounds, an ongoing program in which clinicians and others in the field lecture students and faculty. When I listened to the talk... Barry Weiss tweeted this out on her uh, Twitter page. When I listened to the talk, I considered the fact that it might be some sort of elaborate prank. But looking at the doctor's social media, it is completely genuine. Here are some of the quotes from the lecture that was advertised for weeks ahead of time there at Yale. This is the cost of talking to white people at all. The cost of your own life is they suck you dry. There are no good apples out there. White people make my blood boil. They even give the timestamp. That's at the 6 minute 45 second mark of this speech. Well, she's already been tried and convicted of being a racist based on that sentence. I had fantasies of unloading a revolver in the head of any white person that got in my way, burying their body and wiping my bloody hands as I walked away relatively guiltless with a bounce in my step like I did the world an effing favor. This is a speech delivered at Yale? Can you imagine anybody saying that out loud about... Uh, a black person, a Hispanic person, an Asian, anything like that, and this just flying under the radar and you getting away with it? You giving this speech out loud at Yale University? If tape got out of you saying this at a Klan meeting, you'd be done. Right. And you should be, because it's evil, it's an evil thought, and you are an evil racist. Well, the idea in evil, evil, critical race theory is there's no such thing as anti-white racism, because if you don't have power, you can't be a racist. White people are out of their minds, and they have been for a long time. That came at the 17-minute mark. 
more here. We are now in a psychological predicament because white people feel that we are bullying them when we bring up race. They feel that we should be thanking them for all they have done for us. They are confused, and so are we. We keep forgetting that directly talking about race is a waste of our breath. We're asking a demented, violent predator who thinks that they are a saint or a superhero to accept responsibility. It ain't going to happen. They have five holes in their brain. It's like banging your head against a brick wall. It's just sort of not a good idea. Wow. That's so stupid (laughs) in so many ways. Acting as if there's no middle ground between thanking the white people for everything they've done for us and and being a homicidal racist. There's no middle ground where we just deal with each other as human beings. That woman has mental illness problems. We need to remember that directly talking about race to white people is useless because they're at the wrong level of conversation. Addressing racism assumes that white people can see and process what we're talking about. They can't. That's why they sound demented. They don't even know they have a mask on. White people think it's their actual face. We need to get them to know the mask, whatever the hell that means. Wow. They uh, included the poster from the speech that was put up on campus all over the place. Child Studies Center Grand Rounds, presented by Yale School of Medicine's Department of Child Study Center. The fact that it's the children's studies is amazing. The psychopathic problem of the white mind, it says in big red letters. Uh, Aruna Kilanani, MDMA, forensic psychiatrist, psychiatrist and psychoanalyst. And the speech she gave just last month. And, uh, yeah, so advertised, given, recordings out there and available, doesn't even make a blip unless you're listening to right-leaning talk radio. It doesn't even make a blip anywhere. Somebody going around talking about this. It doesn't fit the narrative. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, I just read where Washington State has mandated critical race theory in all public schools. Even really? as Texas and Florida and, and others have banned it, and 20 state attorneys general have petitioned the Biden administration to get it out of the federal government and federal programs. Yeah, the state of Washington uh, has now required critical race theory uh, in all of its public schools. Let me find the part of the interview that I thought was so good, because uh, a writer interviewed this um, doctor who was giving the lecture, who gave the lecture at Yale. Um, and it's really quite amazing. I read this on Friday. I want to find the, the best part. Mm, okay. So they see, she gets into talking about, um, uh, white people and the, 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 how crazy they are with their, how crazy they are and how they can't see anything and they're psychopaths, et cetera, et cetera. And the interviewer says, what would you say is the cause of this? I think it's colonialism, that history. If you do this much lying to yourself, it's going to have an effect on your mind. There's no way it can. And the interviewer, who leans way left and is like, you know, fawning over this person, still doesn't understand because it doesn't make any sense. Right. And says, how does that work? Are you talking about some kind of epigenetics or the passing down of the collective unconscious? I'm an American, a white woman. I don't have any direct experience with colonialism, although I'm sure I've benefited from it in some ways, she has to throw in. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's hard for me to see how I would be traumatized by this thing that happened before I was born. Yeah, it's a decent question. How were you traumatized by colonialism that happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago? Since we're allegedly discussing science here. I don't think you do feel traumatized. White people experience this as normal. That's their level of functioning that feels normal. But it's picked up in everything. It's picked up in history. It's picked up in all aspects of culture. Could you give me an example of what? (laughs) She says. What we're talking about. Of what? That's almost like a comedy gag. 
Right. It's like Monty Python. Of what? Could you give me an example of what? Of how this is picked up in all aspects of culture. How do you see the after effects of colonialism manifesting itself in the white mind today? It's going to be hard for me to give you a one-sentence soundbite on this. Or anything, As if really. she asked for that. This is so obviously a con person, a, a, a huckster, uh, you know, a, a fraud merchant who has no arguments beyond the surface argument. How exactly does the snake oil cure both uh, rheumatitis and depression? Uh, well, that's, uh, I, I, I can't give you a soundbite on that. but I can't uh, give you a one-sentence soundbite on that. I didn't ask for one. We have all day. Go. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be hard for me to give you a one-sentence soundbite on this, but I would say a high level of guilt. I've never seen anything like this before, other than in white people not eating bread, an incredible level of shame. Feeling really exposed all the time. A lot of perfectionistic tendencies. Not letting themselves move forward. Experiencing themselves as a passive a lot. Boy, that is projecting. Just a classic case of projecting. What are you talking? White guilt is is proof of of what you're pitching? What was the part? And of, not eating bread? What was the bread part? I'll eat some bread then. I eat lots of bread. Wonder, yeah. bre- Wonder bread, of course. The only oh, bread. Oh, you are very white. Yeah, that's 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 a con man operating. I've heard plenty of them. Plenty, people try to dupe us into real estate schemes or or what have you. I recognize the the speech patterns. That's interesting stuff right there. And I and it's 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 very very troubling that it has been become okay to be this racist as long as it's toward white people. This will not end well. Not a joke. This will not end well if we decide this is okay. Right. And the great lie of this stuff and why it's so insidious to teach it to children is the idea that you can't be racist against white people because you don't have power. Racism is universal. Uh, Racism, bigotry, call it whatever you want around the world. It has particular, you know, you can describe it, you can observe it. It has effects. It has terrible, dangerous, corrosive effects. And the fact that one group might be in a minority, the idea that that thereby makes the corrosive effects non-existent, I mean, that's just idiotic. I could point to a dozen different cultures where you have minority groups that have racist views of other groups, and it causes horrific violence. Just terrible, terrible human misery. And the, the idea that if you are, are 50% of the population plus one, the other guys can't be racist, that's idiotic. I mean, that's just, it's so stupid, it's hard to even to, to, to sum it up the breadth to form an argument against it. And yet it's being taught in our schools to our little kids. Yeah, it's uh, it's frightening. We just wanted you to hear it because I don't think you're going to hear it anywhere else. But that was somebody that spoke at Yale University. All that crap you just heard. Uh, archaeologists think they find the found the oldest example of uh, storytelling among human beings, and it is way back and kind of interesting. If you wow. maybe maybe put your life in perspective, among other things we can talk about. I got I've got such a a list of things that I gathered over the weekend. I really did. Sometimes I look at my notes on a Monday morning and I think you did a good job, Jack. You really worked hard over the weekend. Good man. Pat on the back. <laughs> The ACLU, what are they up to nowadays? One thing they're not doing is what they used to do for generations is protect free speech. But they're out of that business, it would seem. Correct. Plus, if you've ever wanted to shoot Jeff Bezos into space, don't bother. He's going to do it himself. A new book pulling back the curtain on Abraham Lincoln's marriage has some interesting tidbits you might like. Was there a curtain to be pulled back? I think so. Okay. 
Um, are you feeling like you're being blinded by new cars' headlights? It's not your imagination. Hmm. Something going on there. Bunch of stuff on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Don't say a word. The last one still stinging. And now, people on TV lose their shit over the phrase hot vax summer. The hot vax summer. That's what they're calling it, ladies and gents. I can't make this up. You know why? Because last summer was hot girl summer. Was it? So they just substituted that word. All right. All vaxed up, no place to go. It's a hot vax summer. I'm dressed for hot vax summer. The hot vax summer. Hot vax summer. Hot vax summer. Hot vax. Hot vax summer in the city. <laughs> no. no. So play on the hot girl summer from Megan Thee Stallion. Three words. Hot vax summer. Local news anchors all using that term that I refuse to say. That made me less alive. It did. It did. That, that sucked my will to live. You know how they said uh, every time you smoked a cigarette, it took seven minutes off your life? That <laughs> took at least seven minutes off my life. <coughs> By the way, we just got an email about the California AR-15 ruling and Cali- quote-unquote California-compliant AR-15s from Anonymous. They make stupid laws. We work around them. We've always been able to buy as many AR-15s as we can afford. They just have silly-ass workarounds. Help yourselves. There's a link to the you know the supplier. Yeah. And a lot of it is the uh, there are a variety of scary-looking things that you can't have on your AR-15 that don't really have much to do with its effectiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Jeff Bezos, force for good or evil? Uh, I think he's a scary dude, and uh, whether it's Amazon or the Washington Post, I just get chills when I think about him, but (laughs) is he the richest guy in the world at this point? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, anyway. Quite a bit, I believe. He's quitting his job and getting shot into space. If you don't count Vladimir Putin. Somebody who legitimately got their money, Jeff Bezos is the richest man in the world. Yeah. About $180 Um, billion last time I looked. Right, crazy. So he is stepping down as CEO of Amazon and blasting himself into space. Good. He and his, he Pluto, and, get no, as far away as possible. I think they're coming back, actually. Oh. He and his brother Mark will board the first human flight of New Shepard, a suborbital rocket system developed by his aerospace company, Blue Origin. Um, he says, since I was five, I've dreamed of traveling to space. On July 20th, I will take that journey with my brother, and Andy Jassy will assume the CEO position. So he's stepping down and, and flying into space. Mm. After that, I do not know. Yeah, he's trying to, you know, it's a good idea. It's a publicity stunt to draw attention to the fact that, hey, Elon Musk's not the only rich guy with his own rockets. I got my own rockets, too. Not and, only that, I'm on one of them. Yeah, so pretty good idea. I wonder if he'll retake the reins if he doesn't blow up in space. Is that a preemptive step just in case? Mm. Nah, because you could have the succession plan in place, and old Andy Jassy could step up to the mic and say, I'm in charge now. i got to believe his likelihood of perishing in this flight is pretty low. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, they uh, There's somebody that surveys uh, senior Capitol Hill staffers for polls, ask them a bunch of questions like, how likely is it that uh, the Republicans take the House, et cetera, et cetera. And these are people that, in theory, would be in the know about this sort of thing or you know, have as good an idea as anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, get to those next segment. Kind of interesting. This article in the New York Times over the weekend, I've experienced this. Maybe you don't unless you 
if you don't ever drive on two-lane highways at night, but if you do, you know this. The, um, well, the headline, Blinded by Brighter Headlights? It's not your imagination. The new headlights that they're putting on, particularly trucks and SUVs where they're up a little higher, shining your eyes, are just so much brighter by magnitudes of what we used to have in, like, the 80s and 90s. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I live out in the country, so I do a lot of driving down a dark two-lane highway at night. And if there's a vehicle coming, oftentimes I flash my brights, and then they, f- they you know, because I think they have their brights on, and then yeah. they flash me to let me know, those are their dims. Oh, my God. Those right. are your dim lights? Yeah, they go from the spotlights to stadium lights to show you that they're dimmed, yeah. And if you ever drive an older car, like uh, like our older pickup I drove uh, one time in on the dark highway, how did we ever survive driving around with the headlights that existed pre the modern headlight? You could only see like 10 feet in front of you. Like we those... hit a lot of crap. That's how we dealt with it. <laughs> like those camp flashlights that you have to like hand yeah. crank up. To... <laughs> but they're going to have to come up with a standard on this because the headlight wars, you just you can't see anything if you're out there on a dark road at night and one of these vehicles is coming toward you. Are there NTSB rules about that? I don't know. Or maybe uh, there haven't been and they're going to be now, but they are super bright. I mean, because if you could mount, like, literally stadium lights, like it's a baseball right. stadium on right. the front of your pick-em-up truck, that can't be legal. You would think there'd be a rule. You can see, like, a mile, so that's handy. But They asked D.C. Uh, senior staffers on the Capitol what they think is going to happen with a variety of subjects. We'll have those for you next. Armstrong and Getty. I don't know about this. Maybe Joe does. So it was the anniversary of the Tiananmen Square Massacre in uh, China. And uh, for the first time ever, there was not a major uh, protest at the big park there in Hong Kong. Because Hong Kong now is part of China. Right. You don't dare. Uh, And this happened. So a guy named Kenneth Roth tweeted this out. Since Microsoft's Bing search engine, I didn't know Bing was a Microsoft search engine. Uh-huh. I don't know. Uh, there's so many things I don't know. Bing it. Since Microsoft's Bing search engine on the anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre censored the Tank Man image, even outside of China, I thought I would share a version often not seen showing the long column of tanks that he held up. It's a famous picture, if you're old enough to remember it, of a guy standing in front of a tank, not letting it go into the square, which ultimately at night they did roll into the square with the tanks and rolled right over the top of protesters and scorched them all in addition to shooting them. But um, it was quite the brave act by this guy. Uh, But did Microsoft's Bing engine actually not let that picture be shown anywhere in the world? That is correct. And when called on it, they said, oh, it was a mistake. There's a little algorithm problem. You've got to be kidding me. Nope. Really? Yep. Wow. We never had the problems like this when we were uh, the, the Cold War with the Soviet Union. Not to this extent. Well, this is no. crazy. We didn't have gigantic corporations, some of our most important car- uh, corporations, in bed with Brezhnev at the time. You're gonna Microsoft. You're gonna try to hide the fact that college students were trying to stand up for freedom against a totalitarian government and were murdered for it, and you're gonna go along with the Chinese on this. The government, the Communist Party. Yeah. That is wild. Yep. Whew. 
Okay. The coming together of giant corporations, especially tech, and those who wield governmental power is, uh, I wish Orwell was still alive. I'd say, hey, how about we do a different take on 1984? Call it whatever you want and include like big tech companies and tell us what happens. I wish Christopher Hitchens was still alive because he'd be on all the channels uh, making some solid arguments with big words. Anyway, um, <laughs> there's a polling organization called The Canvas from Punchbowl News where they anonymously survey senior Capitol Hill staffers, which supposedly have a better idea of what's going on than the rest of us do. I don't know. Yeah, I think they, they, they probably got their finger on the pulse. Will Republicans or Democrats win the House in 22? 78% of House staffers think Republicans will win the House. That's up 12% from the last survey in April. That's um, a pretty short putt, really. Uh, yeah, I don't know, but why did it go up 12% since April? I'm not exactly sure. 70% of Senate staffers think Dems will keep the Senate. That's up 4% since April. Hmm. So pretty solid in the House and Senate that it's going to be a... Quick methodology quibble. Are they polling the same people, or is it a random sampling of senior I House staffers? I don't know. Good, don't question. Okay. Good question. Yeah, and, and the Senate's a tricky one because you always have to look at the electoral map. It's only a third of the Senate every two years. Sure. And so you have to see which seats are up because it's kind of a blind draw. Sometimes it's uh, wobbly seats. Sometimes it's almost entirely very red and very blue seats. Uh, about half of staffers say President Joe Biden's American Jobs Plan and American Families Plan will be coupled together in a reconciliation package and passed in a party-line vote. It's about half. Only 39% say a hard infrastructure bill will pass. And that's what Republicans are pushing, is just scaling it down to actual infrastructure. So, And then this one, this is their favorite from their recent survey. 87% of Republicans say Tucker Carlson is the most influential commentator for GOP aides. Almost 90% say wow. Tucker Carlson's the most influential. <laughs> Who's the most influential asking Democrats? Stacey Abrams. Huh. So those are your big swinging influencers right there for R's and D's. Tucker Carlson and Stacey Abrams. Feel your soul being crushed yet? That's Tucker right there. Does, is Stacey Abrams on the MSNBC? All the time. Yeah, okay. All right, yeah. I don't tune over there. I, I punish myself by listening to CNN semi-frequently, but not MSNBC. They're too chuggy for me, Jack. They're too what? He says in an effort to... Transition into this oh, okay. idiotical story. Okay. <laughs> idiotical. Uh, the uh, what the terms Generation Z is using on TikTok. Oh, this no. will make your skin crawl. Every generation has its stupid, stupid jargon. And every generation thinks its stupid jargon is clever. Think... And every generation thinks people who are older who don't know it are fools for not knowing it. I think it's keen. <laughs> it's the bee's knees. Yes, exactly. Uh, on the other hand, if you do enjoy language, you're an amateur linguist like myself. You just enjoy watching it evolve and I'm, how words are used. It's kind of interesting. I'm guessing that it's a necessary part of society so that you can signal to others that you're of a certain group. And in this right. particular uh, instance, it's a um, usually based around age for the most part, but not mm-hmm. entirely. Right. I think the fact that every single 
distinct generation develops its own would be a signal that, yes, humans just do this. You know, the cavemen, the young cavemen were calling antelopes oof-oofs or something, you know, so the elders wouldn't know what they're talking about, you know. Anyway, uh, they make the point here in the insufferable USA Today that uh, some of these terms are not new. Their origins are much older, rooted in African-American vernacular English, A-A-V-E, or black speech separate from standard English. Uh, so here, here are some of your uh, your terms you're going to see in the TikTok world among Generation Zers. Chugi describes millennials who are trying too hard to be trendy or in style. Did you see that older girl trying to do the TikTok dance? She's so chuggy. Hmm. Oh, all right. So I'm probably chuggy. Oh, I, I don't see you trying many TikTok dances, though. No. Probably not. I, I think no, it, but if you did, you would be. Yeah, I, I think you lack the effort to be trendy in order to be chuggy. You, I think you fit half of it, somebody not of the age demographic. But I don't think you're trying to keep up on the on the latest fashion trends. Hmm. Yeah, I think you're more like a grandpa doing the dance. It's cute. <laughs> you're non-threatening at this point. Sean, you're a millennial. Do you know any of these terms like no cap or capping? Uh, no cap means I'm telling the truth. Right, like no I'm lies. not yeah. lying. Or if you say someone is capping, then you're saying they're lying. Yep. What, what, where does that come from? I don't know. Nah, yeah, the, the, the unknowable. Somewhere. <laughs> unknowable. <laughs> now, a bop. That one I've heard. My son listened to the, the latest Dead Flowers album, and he said, Wow, that's really a bop. Nice job, Dad. I said, um, mm, Is that good? <laughs> it's, it's, it's when a song or album is really good. Okay. Uh, drip. Is a cool, sexy, or trendy sense of style. Another way of saying swag. When someone has good drip, people will hype them up by having them do a drip check, which is showing off your outfit. Hey, my dude, you have some serious drip. Drip check. Yeah, if somebody mm. says nice drip, they're saying you you are dressed well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that, 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 uh, bet is yes can be said to a question if somebody wants to you want to go get some boba bet no you can't do that one that one i'll accept the others but not that one you can't you can't just change yes to bet what do you mean you can't do that one <laughs> that's that's it's, not allowed no no you're jack's right sean you pipe down you, you can't use one word when there's another word that's just fine no and yeah, that one, the second yeah. word means something already well and this is a, i don't know yes and no are just a different category of words than let me check your drip um <laughs> wow do you want to go to lunch bet <laughs> bet what what how much on what, what probably i don't understand the bet well i'm not taking you to lunch then and the, here's one that says it's more a visual it's d-e-d slash skull emoji dead like with a skull that's like lol something so funny it killed you Okay. The emoji replaces the laughing emoji. That girl that does the seagull noises has me dead, Skull. Oh, let's see. Then Stan is a, a very big fan of someone famous. That's from uh, the yeah. Eminem song, correct? Yeah, yeah. borderline stockish. It's kind of, you can come, people kind of self identify Oh, no, I'm a Stan. I'm a super fan of this thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let me see. Uh, oh, I-Y-K-Y-K. If you know, you know. Mm-hmm. Used to describe an inside joke or something a certain community would understand. I Y K Y K. Boy, there are a lot of them. This is too much work. They're all okay except for bet. You can't change the <laughs> word yes. They're that, not changing the word yes. The word yes still exists. That doesn't, you can't do that. 
Let's see. Oh, and we've heard this one, living rent-free. It's uh, can't stop think- thinking about something. Also used as an insult when someone is upset about something. That song lives rent-free in my head. He hates LeBron James so much he lives rent-free inside his head. Well, that's uh, old, isn't it? That's not a new thing. Yeah, and like the rest of them, it's not terribly clever. The rent uh, you know, is too damn high. No, it was rent-free, sir. Actually, it's kind of enjoyable to watch a movie like A Clockwork Orange, which is just dripping with the slang of hipster London late 60s uh, with droogs and the rest of it. But it's uh, it always sounds dumb if you're not a part of that uh, that group. But oh, so clever if you're in. So Keen and Nito weren't in on the list anywhere? Apparently not. Nito. Old fella. No, you're very chuggy, and you're making me uh, very, very sick here. Mm. Very uncomfortable. No cap. I'm telling you, that makes me angry. Somebody's trying to change the word yes to something else. <laughs> it's good. It's good to take a stand on that I sort of thing. I want to pass a law about that. Oh, hey, speaking of the Internet, the brilliant Kevin Williamson, who is too dangerous for, who was it, the Atlantic to employ? And he's just brilliant. Was talking about the power of one on the Internet mm. and how that's changing history. How it, it, to, to influence, to change, to, it, to hurt damage it used to take it required enormous sacrifice on the part of an individual you might have to sacrifice everything to have you know the influence the power to change and now it's just effortless and how that's going to make us all crazy and and all this is pretty interesting i'm not explaining it as well as he is uh, which is you know i'm not ken williamson do we'll share that with you a bit do workers have the most leverage over employees that they've had in generations well, workers over employers? Uh, over employers, yeah. yeah. Workers have more leverage over employers than they have had in generations. Well, one one thinker, think tank, thinks so. Should, should Boy, we just talk about looking that? at it from the outside, I'd say, yeah. Yeah, I still think part of it is because they're getting enough stimmy money that they can say <laughs> no to a whole bunch of things. Um, but more on the way on that and uh, other things. Our text line, 415-295-KFTC. enough money to be happy an ongoing question that is regularly polled and that sort of thing always more an, that's all i know more always an interesting discussion um we'll do that next hour next hour always sounds better than this hour it's like uh, <laughs> it's like when i watch it's like when i watch 60 minutes their ad for next week always sounds better than this week's episode that is so funny <laughs> um oh also speaking of things great next hour my sport of choice baseball has a, the biggest scandal going on since steroids, but very few people oh, are following it. Huge no. cheating scandal. I don't know about this at all. Oh, yeah. I, uh, neither did I. American base, amateur baseball, or whatever they call it, qualified for the Olympics over the weekend. So, oh, good. So our former major leaguers and up-and-coming yeah. up stars, future major leaguers, are going to be in the uh, Olympic baseball competition. There yes, in Japan. So we don't send an all-star team of major leaguers over anymore, did we? We did no. that for a couple of years. Yeah, well, baseball, a couple of Olympiads. Baseball was around for a while, and then it went away. And now it's coming back because the host country gets to choose a couple of things, and Japan mm. loves baseball. Yeah, But anyway, we're in it. 
Saw this headline, the workers are gaining leverage over employers right before our eyes. Employers are becoming much more cognizant that, yes, it's about money, but also about quality of life. Uh, headline being, the relationship between American businesses and their employees is undergoing a profound shift. For the first time in a generation or more, workers are gaining the upper hand. And they talk about how this was starting before the pandemic, because unemployment was so low that workers were starting to have a little more uh, swagger, could demand a little more, and that we're really having that now. Um, even though there are a 7 million jobs available and 8 million people out of work, I don't know how the math works on that, um, because of stimmy money and for whatever reason. Oh, no, according to the Washington Post, again, that can't possibly be true. It's so dumb, but go on. Um, uh, postings, no experience necessary, up two-thirds in the last year, they're so desperate to find workers, which means workers have more uh, say in uh, hours, working conditions, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see if this continues post-pandemic or not. That's interesting. That makes perfect sense. That isn't where I thought that article was going to go, although I think this is probably closely uh, related is that if workers don't like what's going on at their company, they have a great deal of leverage to to either change it or try to change it, to call the company out, uh, apply pressure in public, that sort of thing, which relates to a piece I read in National Review by Kevin Williamson, who, who may be my favorite thinker. He's certainly on a very, very short list. But he's talking about the Internet age and how changing something hurting something, killing something, just affecting just change used to take... Enormous effort and sacrifice. He says, the, and he, you know, that's really summarizing his premise, but the work that used to take a team of music producers and publicity agents or a 20th century newspaper's enormous physical plant and large editorial and distribution staffs or the considerable resources of a Hollywood studio or a covert operations agency can now be undertaken in many cases by one person or a small group of people working with very little in the way of institutional backing or resources. A person with a singular vision, whether he is a musician, a philanthropist, an online saboteur, or a school shooter, can go radically farther on his own today than he could have in the past. Mm. And he says this goes beyond outright violence, of course. Generation ago, if you wanted to manipulate financial markets, Sean, we're working your side of the street here, you would have to put real money at risk, a substantial sum of it. In our time, so-called meme stocks, and he mentions AMC, can be manipulated by relatively small, loosely organized groups of people operating under a variety of motives. Some of them make him killing, some make some lose money, mostly a trivial amount. He mentions Dogecoin, which is worth $50 billion right now, more than enough to buy Twitter, almost enough to buy Honda. Wow. Why? Because a bunch of Reddit users decided to talk about it or whatever. He mentions GameStop, very little individual cost to that scam. Scam, scheme, plan, whatever. Spending 20 bucks to help pants Wall Street's the deal of the century for some people. And then he gets into the meat of the thing, which I found really interesting. And this is, this is so good and so bad about the internet. The power of 1%. Beyond amplifying the power of individuals, the Internet helps motivate people to exploit the power that can be had from recruiting a tiny slice of a large population. Fewer than 1% of U.S. households subscribe to the Washington Post. Fewer than 1%. But that still puts the newspaper's readership at more than a million. 
If your business can make a sale to 1% of U.S. consumers or 1% of Chinese or Indian consumers, you have a big business. And if you can get 1% of Twitter users to endorse your cause, even in the uh, most low-cost fashion, with a like or a retweet, getting back to his theme of nobody risks anything to, to really have strong effects, and this is the stuff we've seen, if you can get 1% of Twitter to endorse your cause, then you have an army of millions, or at least the illusion of one, which is enough to buffalo the New York Times or Disney or the University of Chicago or mm-hmm. whatever, uh, or, or the companies we work with, into capitulating, sure. into being afraid of you. So you have a small percentage risking nothing. And yet big companies will see this alleged army and say, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, we got to change. We got to do something. We got to apologize. We got to fire somebody. It's really it's it's well pointed out. Um, and then he goes back into the stock market. But that's, you know, you can understand that. Uh, I got I, I, to assume that the, the younger people, when they take over everything, um, will be aware of this. I think so. I think you're absolutely right. The older generation sees that many emails come in or tweets, and they think, oh, no, oh, no, please, wait an hour. Never mind wait until tomorrow. Uh, When a Wall Street uh, powerhouse derided the meme stock guys as retarded, they replied with a variation on John Maynard Keynes, quote, we can stay retarded longer than you can stay solvent. Wow. Good blast. If you feel like you're missing the good hours of the show, go to armstrongandgetty.com, armstrongandgetty.com, grab the podcast. Armstrong and Getty.